Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Do not fear. I think that is what I am, uh, that's going to become the thing that I say over and over and over again uh, today and in the coming days and likely in the coming weeks and months. Do not fear. Um, I recognize that the president's Oval Office speech, which preempted network television last night um, in order to communicate with sobriety the unprecedented time that we now face as a nation, I recognize that um, for many people, it it produced a level of concern and anxiety related to uh, the the global pandemic known as the coronavirus, um, because up to this point, you really just thought this was um, like a speed bump, not a, a radical departure from the way we had been living together up until this point. Let me just say, I think that it is now clear nothing is going to be normal for a while. Um, how long? That is really now the unknown. Um, and part of that is because the hope is that we would actually extend the length of time that we as a nation would become exposed to and um, and then be processing through each one of us, the coronavirus, COVID-19, as opposed to some very large percentage of us getting it very quickly, which would in turn overwhelm our um, ability to care for one another. So um, so you're going to hear some things like uh, social distancing, um, and then you are going to see institutions in your community respond, businesses in your community respond by creating, um, by forcing social distancing because they're just not going to let people be together in large, um, large gatherings. Please do not receive that as some kind of infringement upon your rights. Please receive that as the way that we, the people, are seeking to protect one another um, and do what is best for the common good. Um, It is going to mean our lives are disrupted. It has already meant the disruption of, um, you know, of our of our economic system. It's it is not going to undo us. Um, unless we allow it to undo us at a personal level and we uh, allow it to undo our relationships, we allow it to undo um, who we are. So as Christians, um, I'm going to encourage us to, first of all, not panic, to uh, receive and respond to the official announcement that this is now a global pandemic um, with the recognition that that means it's going to get worse before it gets better. And it's going to be a whole lot worse for people who live in other places around the world than it's going to be for you and I. The numbers are going to go up. People you know are going to be diagnosed with the coronavirus. In all likelihood, a number of us uh, talking together right now already have it, and we just don't know it. Um, And so as testing 
uh, is implemented across the United States in more and more places and more and more people are tested, the numbers are going to probably rise. In fact, I'm going to take the word probably out of that sentence. The numbers are going to rise dramatically. Um, you are going to see not only our nation, but your state and your local community, your your local city government respond in ways that are then fleshed out through all public and private institutions. You are going to ski- see school closures. You are going to see um, your access to places where you once freely roamed. I'm thinking here of hospitals and nursing homes. Um, you are going to see your access to those strictly limited Um, sports leagues, music venues, conferences, concerts, parades, places where people gather, including places of worship, um, are being asked by civil government to consider um, moving events online uh, and, and that which cannot be moved online, reducing, canceling, or postponing. And yes, that means it's going to disrupt your weekly worship schedule. I recognize that. Um, the good news is uh, God can be worshipped at any time, in any place, with any number of people. Where two or three are gathered in his name, Christ is present. Um, and so let's, let's, let's reinstitute family worship. Let's reinstitute a personal, a devotional time. Um, it, it, this does not qualify as you and I uh, resisting the getting together uh, with one another to glorify God, as described in Hebrews. This is you and I being prayerful and careful confident in our systems and then in the resilience of the American experiment. This is you and I being responsible citizens, both of the kingdom of heaven and uh, of the kingdom of this world in which of which we are a part. All right. I'm going to continue this conversation in just a moment with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Joining me now for our weekly conversation, it's Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. You can find him at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. Ben, welcome back. Good to be with you, Carmen. So for lots of folks, uh, news is breaking this morning that there is now a travel ban for most of Europe to the United States for any non-U.S. resident. Um, Italy is in a particular crisis. Um, there, there's this, you know, brightened need to, quote, flatten the curve, creating some social distance so that the timeline is extended in terms of exposure um, to the coronavirus. Um, and, and that is all a part of not overwhelming a nation's healthcare capacity. When we talk about healthcare capacity, um, one of the conversations that is going to emerge is socialized medicine, centralized socialized medicine. Italy is having um, a particular challenge in no small measure because of the way it provides medical care to its people. Can we just shine a light on that for a moment? I think we we need to, in light of uh, the severity of the crisis, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the the World Health Organization said it's a global pandemic, which means that uh, it, it's not something that's simply going to be restricted to any number of nations, although right now 90% of all outbreaks are, are restricted to four nations. Uh, but Italy is one of the most affected areas, uh, and uh, particularly northern Italy and the Lombardy region, where 80% of the hospital beds in some regions are being used by coronavirus patients. So it's it's a massive issue where people in the region are saying that uh, the entire healthcare system is in threat of being overrun by coronavirus. 
uh, other other specialists, uh, gastrointestinal uh, gastroenterologists, and others are being taken off of their specialty simply to uh, assist with coronavirus. And you have, by the way, in many places, particularly in Italy, the indications are that you have uh, obviously you have rationing, but you also have almost a backhanded euthanasia question because there is such a shortage. Doctors and healthcare professionals in Italy have said some on the record, many off the record, but all of them in the mainstream press that when people come in, they have to choose who's going to get medical care because they are so limited by what they have. So when the elderly come in, they're put at the back of the line for medical treatment. Uh, when young people or, or others uh, who are presumably going to live a much longer life come forward, they're the ones who are given the treatment and others are denied that. So you have government rationing, which leads to a sort of a backdoor euthanasia. And as you mentioned, Italy is a socialized uh, single-payer healthcare uh, nation, although you have uh, some forms of co-pays and other, uh, other issues that uh, come forward. In Italy, uh, Italy certainly has a much more government-dominated form of medical uh, industry than we have in the United States, which is one of the reasons that 1,500 doctors leave every single year. That's part of the reason that they have to have everyone in the hospital, all hands on deck, come forward when they're overrun by a crisis like this because they simply lack the infrastructure because their system isn't uh, as remunerative, it doesn't pay as well. And so when you have this high high uh, cost training, people go abroad in order to uh, better their own circumstances and that leaves the entire nation vulnerable when you have a, a global pandemic like COVID-19. So let's juxtapose that to um, the way in which I believe in the next just couple of days we are going to see um, the healthcare market in the United States of America really robustly respond to this. Um, we are seeing private uh, labs bringing testing online that will be deployed across the country in every Quest lab, in every um, uh, LabCorp lab. I mean, you, you guys know the names of these for-profit labs. They are going to um, be implementing testing across the country. Tenant Healthcare uh, is going to roll out, literally roll out, drive-through testing in all 65 of its hospitals nationwide. That's the market. That's the free market responding. Um, we, we've, we've heard from the governor of New York. He's like, hey, we're outsourcing to private labs because, you know, because we need to. Now, I mean, you could take that as a criticism that the, the U.S. government isn't providing testing in a way that these, these states want it right now. Or you could say this is actually in America how it should work um, where where healthcare is a part of a free market economy. That's always been our strength is the fact that we have uh, not one single centralized uh, healthcare provider, but that we have a whole, a whole host of laboratories all over the United States who are capable of working within their own capacity. And uh, this decentralized system brings about greater results through competition. Uh, and, and yet, of course, the scientists continue to cooperate. Frankly, the, the response has been a sort of a failure of government medicine in the United States on a small scale. The CDC put all testing for COVID-19 under its own authority and for the longest period of time banned private uh, labs from being involved in this. And as a result, when it rolled out its test, its test was botched. It gave false positives. So the CDC test that the government put together by itself, excluding these other providers, wasn't up to snuff. Now, Frank, uh, thankfully, uh, after Mike Pence was put in charge uh, and, and uh, Dr. Burks had a, a wonderful uh, press conference just yesterday, Dr. Burks talked about the importance of responding uh, by bringing online all of the, um, the groups that you just mentioned, which are private. Uh, after 
for example, the Cleveland Clinic here in the state of Ohio got the uh, go-ahead on March 2nd to go ahead and develop its own testing. It's gotten the testing time down from the day that it started. Its test initially would tell you whether you had coronavirus within eight or nine days. It's gotten it down to nine hours just within since the second, so 10 days. Uh, you've seen this massive step forward when the when the free market is allowed to go forward, when these decentralized providers are allowed to use their own expertise and they're not shackled by the federal government. You're seeing tremendous steps forward in a very short period of time. All right. Um, you have a really interesting piece posted at uh, at Acton dot org entitled Cleveland Church must stop helping the poor or stop being a church. Um, I want to talk about that right after the break. I am talking with Ben Johnson. He and I will continue our conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Ben Johnson, you can find the article we are about to discuss at Acton, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. The title is Cleveland Church Must Stop Helping the Poor or Stop Being a Church. Um, Ben, tell us what's going on here. Tremendously complicated case out of Cleveland. Uh, The Denison Avenue United Church of Christ decided to partner with a local nonprofit And when uh, the local homeless shelter had overrun, they would house those homeless people inside their church. Uh, They started that last fall with a group called the Metanoia Project. However, uh, the city said that they were not zoned properly for that kind of use. So they entered into a a dialogue. Their local councilman did not want them to uh, do this. Uh, The councilman tried tried, uh, her best to uh, shut it down, according to local uh, media reports. And so on Christmas Eve... The uh, local fire department posted a letter on the church door telling them to cease and desist housing the homeless. Now, Christmas Eve, a time when there was no room in the inn, uh, you you see sort of a a government uh, response that sounds like unto Herod. But um, the the local church ended up um, appealing this, and they did so on religious liberty grounds. In part, they cited the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act of 2000. Uh, They said that you cannot... Uh, hold a church to a higher standard than other organizations in the area. They said that uh, we are acting as a church. What the uh, the local uh, the letter that uh, was posted on Christmas Eve said was, you are you are zoned to act as a church. If you want to do this, you have to change your zoning ordinance uh, so that you are no longer for quote assembly, but instead you're there for temporary uh, housing purposes. So they would have to, in the eyes of the law, cease to be a church in order to house the homeless. Uh, that's what the city of, of Cleveland told them. So uh, they said, this is what Jesus commands us to do. You know, the book of Isaiah says, deal your bread to the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. Jesus had nowhere on earth to lay his head. And the law under Ralupa, which was introduced by uh, then Representative Chuck Schumer, signed by President Bill Clinton, uh, seems to be on their case as well. The, uh, the pastor uh, who said that we're asserting our right and our obligation to do what Jesus tells us to do in caring about the poor. So uh, ultimately they had, it was a real story of community coming alive. Dozens of volunteers went through, and uh, one of the issues was they didn't have a sprinkler system, so an alternative to that was they could make rounds every 30 minutes, 24 hours a day, particularly in the overnight hours. They had dozens of volunteers come forward and agreed to do that in pairs. So uh, they've gotten a, a variance. They're allowed to continue through the month of April, and eventually they believe they will be able to meet uh, the codes and requirements that are brought forward. 
But you see here the government doing its best on Christmas Eve to stop a church from housing the homeless. And at the same time, on the on the grounds of these categories, that it would somehow have to give up its identity as a church in order to do the commandments that Christ has told every church that it should be doing. So, you know, part of the conversation here is obviously we want to be keeping people safe, um, even as we are providing them shelter. And so, you know, I think that there are going to be people, Ben, who are going to say, hey, it seems reasonable that the church would have to comply with the kind of um, of, requ- of building code requirements. Um, but what we're talking about here is not just residential grade smoke detectors, They're, which seems reasonable. Um, we're talking here about a uh, fire suppression system throughout, uh, throughout a building that would need to be retrofitted um, in, in order to do that. And if most people listening right now think about their own church, um, if you were thinking about retrofitting an urban church that was built you know, many years ago, and you were you were thinking about retrofitting that with fire suppression, open fire suppression, sprinkler systems. Just think about the aesthetics of that and think about the cost of that. Um, and really what this church wants to be doing is caring for its neighbors who are without homes. And it's interesting that the city would respond to the care of its urban poor by threatening to remove the organization that is providing without cost to the city, for the urban poor. Like, it does seem counterintuitive. Well, it certainly does. And, you know, as you say, there, there there's obviously an, a government interest in making sure that uh, the poor and the homeless are in a safe position. Uh, so that's that's not unreasonable. And I'm glad that they're working with the church. The church is agreeing to bring itself up to code uh, in a way that is reasonable for the number of people that it's going to house. At the same time, their their greatest threat is that they're going to freeze to death. I mean, they're 36 days a year in Cleveland, the average winter. They've had an unseasonably warm winter this year. But the typical winter, they're 36 days a year where the temperatures never get above freezing. So you have to weigh the problem of people freezing to death because they have nowhere to go versus the potential that uh, the uh, the, uh, sprinkler system is only – it's only residential as opposed to commercial grade. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, Ben, much to pay attention to. Um, and we just we appreciate um, your vigilance on the front line of religious liberty concerns. Anything else you want to um, bring up today? I would just say in the state of California, there's a bill that's uh, circulating right now that would allow any church to house the homeless without having to rezone. So uh, there are people who are looking at this, uh, and, and it's being brought forward by uh, members of, of California's overwhelmingly Democratic. One of the uh, people who's supporting this is far left. Uh, so it, it says to me that uh, people in both parties are taking very seriously the threat of homelessness, particularly in California, the state with the greatest homeless problem, and the real challenges that uh, religious liberty is facing when they try to step up and help the poor, as the gospel says that we should. Yeah, I suspect that everybody who is doing um, this kind of outreach right now is also asking questions about, you know, accommodation of people whose health is vulnerable. Um, And so let's just be mindful that there are people literally on the streets um, who are very, very vulnerable to to disease and viruses. And let's just be thinking about, I don't know, as you you, uh, give that hand out and that hand up, um, to your neighbor today, maybe consider giving them, um, you know, a packet of antibacterial hand wipes. Like, right? We can, we can do this. We can be the people who um, care for the least of these uh, who are our neighbors 
um, even as we're taking care of ourselves. Hey, Ben Johnson, thank you as always so much. You guys can find Ben at the Acton Institute, A-C-T-O-N dot O-R-G. We'll be right back. So every day, 80 million Americans are choosing between paying their medical bills and basic needs like food and shelter. 66% of all U.S. bankruptcies are tied to medical debt. 25% of all U.S. credit card debt is medical debt. Um, And to avoid the high cost of medical care, actually half of us don't go to the doctor when we feel sick, when we feel sick. Um, that is a bright, shiny light that needs to be um, that needs to be known. Like we need to know these facts, and then we also need to have help um, to help our neighbors who are in this kind of medical debt. So we have featured Rip Medical Debt, uh, R.I.P. Rip Medical Debt. Um, in the past. We are going to revisit that conversation today. Um, give you an update, $1.4 billion in medical debt um, and still climbing has been forgiven by people like you and me who have given $1 um, in order to forgive $1,000 in medical debt of a neighbor. So we are talking next with, uh, with who am I talking with? Craig Antico from RIP Medical Debt. He's up next and we're going to talk to you about how it all works. If you have a teenager living in your household, you know what I mean by this one word, drama. Yep, drama comes with adolescence. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When you were a teen, you had lots of ups and downs, relationships, hormonal changes, and general turmoil. It made for some volatile years. Well, that roller coaster ride of yesteryear has only intensified today. But as a parent, you can counteract those forces. Look for ways to ask relevant questions that don't come across as judgmental. And don't be a buddy to your kid. You only add to the drama. Absorb the highs and lows of adolescence and be a stabilizing force in your home. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Okay, so sometimes you might wonder, like, what's Carmen's clickbait? What are those things that she sees on social media that she just can't resist? Well, let me just tell you, um, pretty much every time, in fact, maybe every time, I see a headline like this, how ordinary citizens are wiping out millions of dollars in medical debt for their neighbors and how you can too, I click. And so recently, CNN reported, this is just on March the 1st, CNN reported that particular headline how ordinary citizens uh, are wiping out millions of dollars of medical debt for their neighbors and how you can, too. And I thought that's got to be about our friends at RIP Medical Debt. And so I clicked. Here's the article. For many people who feel crushed under the weight of their medical bills, trips to the mailbox can be anxiety inducing. A reminder that you're in a hole that feels impossible to climb out of. A reminder that someone is still after you for money um, that you don't have. Well, in coming weeks, CNN reports, opening the mailbox for a lot of people across the country is going to yield a welcome surprise. 
a yellow envelope with the words RIP medical debt. At first, it might look like a scam, perhaps a scheme might ultimately leave the recipient worse off than they started. But when you open the letter, you'll learn the words are in fact real. Your medical debt has been forgiven thanks to someone somewhere who cared. Now, um, CNN leads out, leaves out of the lead that we're talking here about a particular church, Crossroads Church based in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, that wiped out $46 million in medical debt for neighbors in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, Tennessee, and other parts of the country. It's a mega church, congregation of about 50,000 people. Um, and when they were invited to, uh, to have this campaign to wipe out the medical debt of their neighbors, they embraced it. Um, if you go to RIP Medical Debt, R-I-P, ripmedicaldebt.org, um, you'll see there that every $100 donated forgives $10,000 in medical debt. And so for this church to, to forgive $46 million in medical debt obviously did not require them to raise $46 million, right? Um, because you can wipe out, let's say, $1.9 million in medical debt uh, with $19,000. So you see how this works, right? There's this incredible multiplier effect. And, um, uh, and so I just, I love this. I love these stories. I love how this works. I want to encourage you to check out RIP Medical Debt um, and do so at ripmedicaldebt.org. Um, we have featured this, this, I'm going to call it a ministry. They don't call themselves a ministry, but um, we're going to, we feature this ministry um, on prior occasions. Um, and, and I now know people who have personally benefited. You probably know people as well, whether or not they have um, ever told you so. Uh, we are now at the point where more than 650,000 families across America have had their debt forgiven through donations to RIP Medical Debt. Joining me now, Craig Antico from RIP Medical Debt. Craig, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks, Carmen. Good morning. It's a pleasure. Good. Good morning. It's 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 wonderful to have you here. We we really want to have an update on the work. Um, I was, uh, you know, I was reminded again of the good work that you guys are doing um, through an article about the Crossroads Church based in Cincinnati. But just give us a give us an update on what's happening through Rip Medical Debt. Well, what's amazing is that faith based organizations throughout the country are, you know, calling us and donating a tremendous amount of money to abolish debt. And you know, it's unusual for a church to give, you know, over $450,000 to us to, you know, abolish almost $50 million of debt because not all churches have that kind of money in their mission budget. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> um, but we are, we're just so pleased to be able to abolish debt for people that are in need. I think it's connecting with parishioners, um, some of the churches tell us it's the most important thing they did the whole year. I mean, that is just extraordinary. So last year, uh, last year, churches abolished over $500 million uh, with the donations that they gave to RIP. <laughs> so when I click on campaigns, when I go to RIP Medical Debt, uh, ORG, and I click on campaigns, I see this thing that says hotspots. And there are some hot spots around the country. Tell us what is a hot spot um, and and how how in these regions, when people are overwhelmed with medical debt, how does that then influence everything else about life in these places? 
Okay, hotspots are areas where there is a tremendous amount of burden from medical debt that we can do something about. It doesn't necessarily mean that in that area um, there's more problems than in other areas. See, the only way that we can help people is when we can actually buy their debt. So there might be a, a community, a county, a group of counties that have tremendous amounts of medical debt issues, but the providers are not willing to sell that debt. See, because we buy the debt for less than 1%. Uh, we can't go and, uh, and help people individually that call us. We have to do this in bulk. It's a random act of kindness. What happens in a community, in a hotspot community, like a hotspot community, I think we have uh, one, Appalachia, for example, tremendous amount of burden in that whole 450 county region. So churches have been giving to that particular hotspot because that's a, an area of tremendous need. Um, and what happens is when a, when a church like Crossroads does their work, tens of thousands of letters go out to people in the community that have had their debt abolished. When they get those letters, it's like a renewal of hope because they – now we're downtrodden. They've got a tremendous amount of debt that they're being called on by collection companies. Now, the preponderance of debt is medical. Half of all debt that's collected in this country is medical, and I used to be in that business. So half of all the collections I ever did were medical debt. And all the, the, the bad marks on credit reports, like almost 60% of the bad marks that people have on credit reports are from medical debt. So when we buy debt, we actually wipe it off of the credit report. So that's another benefit that these people are getting. But I can tell that it's affecting them, and their and their faith is is either affirmed or renewed. Um, I'll get I'll get letters and emails from people that say, you know, I prayed that I would get my debt abolished from you, and um, or this is an answer to my prayers. Um, so many people call that that just you know thank their God for for this for this work. So I mean, it's I feel I feel blessed that we're doing this. So I, one of the things I appreciate, Craig, is that when um, when you're on the website, you can actually like check out specific campaigns and specific areas of the country. Um, I know that sometimes you know people want to know they're ha they're they're helping people in a particular part um, of of the nation. And so just want to encourage people, um, you can check out specific campaigns. There's actually a brand new campaign you could participate in in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, I want to just encourage people to check that out who are listening. If you're listening to us live um, as our affiliate in Nebraska, you've got one. Um, the, ha the Hamilton County Ministerial Association um, has a, a RIP medical debt campaign that's ongoing. Um, would be an opportunity for Nebraska listeners to, you know, jump in right there in their local community. But there's all kinds of places across the country that you could, um, you know, you could participate in a specific campaign. It would be of great encouragement to the faith communities in those areas that are sponsoring these campaigns. Um, and obviously, it would be a tremendous blessing to the ultimate recipient um, individuals and families. When we come back from our break, we're going to ask Craig to tell us some stories um, about how RIP medical debt is affecting the lives of real people facing real medical debt right here in the United States of America. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You say I love when 
All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Craig Antico of RIP Medical Debt. We want you to check out the website, ripmedicaldebt.org. You can learn there. Um, well, one of the things you can just watch is the clicker, which it's just this debt forgiveness number that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger um, while we're talking. But you can also check out the campaigns across the country. You can learn more about RIP Medical Debt and you can contact them, uh, particularly if you're interested in starting a campaign in your own area. Um, uh, Craig, tell us tell us some good news stories. You know, people who have um, either participated on the giving end and the experience that's been for a local faith community um, or group of people. And then some stories on the recipient end when, you know, how people are responding when they get that yellow envelope in the mail. Sure. Uh, I'll start with the donors. Um, oftentimes, um, a person will, will call us up and say, you know, I'm part of a church, but I really want to talk with you about, you know, what you're about. They, they're they in, inquisitive. They, they just know that this resonates with them. Uh, I had a a couple down in Tyler, Texas, for example, and they made a donation initially of about ten thousand dollars, and saw what we could do. Then they brought it to their to their pastor, told them that what they were doing. The next thing you know, they're introducing us to the hospitals in the region. Um, many more people got involved because they they just felt like they were doing something special. Um, and it was regional. It wasn't as if we were sending um, money to Africa or somewhere else where we don't really know. Here we know that we have people that are absolutely in trouble, and we can help them in our region. You know, that was East Texas. Um, and just they just continue to come back to us, and uh, and it 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 actually um, helps their their messaging of what they care about to the community because they can actually write something in the letter that gets sent to each person. So in, in that case, it was a, a verse that they cared about that they wanted to, to talk to the people about, and they put that in the, in the letter. Um, some people came and actually talked at their church that had their debt abolished. So I thought that was really, really fabulous. They actually made a big connection with their community. Um, the people that uh, get the letter, we've never seen anybody get the letter. So we don't know exactly what they I know. So doing. you're not like that. You're not, you don't have those like publishers clearinghouse, like the people that film it when they show up with the check. I know. And you can't do that because it's, it's anonymized and I get that. But I have to tell you, I yearn to see someone open the mailbox because they're, you know, they're going there with this defeated spirit. You know that they're, that they are, the expectation is everything in there is bad news. And they open it up and that yellow envelope at first might just look like another, right? Some, one more, one more piece of mail. And yet it's, it's intriguing because what does it say on the outside of the envelope that draws me to even open it and not just think that it's uh, junk mail? Well, that's that's really interesting because most of the campaigns that we do actually are affiliated with an organization. So, um, a faith-based organization will have their logo on the on the envelope with RIP Medical Debt. Um, now, RIP Medical Debt is not ubiquitous. You know, not everybody uh, has heard of it, um, but 
the churches, a lot of times people have heard, especially if it's in a region, you know, maybe a, a county or two. Um, if they listen to Mornings with Carmen, there you go. That's right. They're going to know that's, about it. They're going to know about it. And um, what ends up happening is um, they get this letter. And the interesting thing is when you read the letter, it it's too hard to believe. Like, who would abolish my medical debt? Like, I can't even fathom that. I mean, I, I can't even believe if I got the letter, you know, what, what, what's the, what's the catch? You know, what, what, what do I have to do to get this? Like, and you read the letter and it's, it's just a gift. It's a pure, uh, no strings attached gift. Your debt is forgiven. Now you don't want to think of it as like you did something wrong. Like you need to be forgiven. Uh, but it's just so needed. And the people that do respond to us, you know, send a letter or an email, they they do find that this is pretty um, um, faith energizing. I mean, it just is it, it's just and, and most of them do say that. I mean, it's not as if this just happens some of the time. I'd say 90 percent of the time they bring God into the conversation and they talk about it. And I've seen. If you go Google RIPmedicaldebt.org, you will see, or just RIP Medical Debt, you'll see countless TV stations interviewing people that have had their debt abolished, and so many of them talk about their faith and how they never gave up. But they do go, and they are defeated, and you know, 15 million people lose their life savings paying for medical debt a year. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's just—it's staggering. Uh, so remind us of the remind yeah. us of the numbers of the impact because I do I, I think that I mean you and I have talked before and again let me just remind people um, I'm talking uh, with Craig Antico from Rip Medical Debt you can find them at rip r i p medical debt dot o r g um, talk about the impact so you know ten dollars given pays off how much medical debt. Or a hundred dollars okay. given, which how whatever numbers you want to use, help us understand the numbers, the impact. All you have to do is add two zeros. So <laughs> that's see, that is my kind of math right there. That's one dollar kind of abolishes a hundred. Ten dollars abolishes a thousand. A thousand abolishes, you know, a hundred thousand. Um, Ten thousand abolishes a million dollars. So it's amazing. You know, you know, the funny thing is I could go to a hospital and say, here's um, a person that really needs help um, and they owe $1,000. I'm going to give you $10 for that account. They'd laugh at me and say, are you kidding me? We want $500. Um, well, if I give them a million dollars and it's 10,000 people, they'll take it. So that's what we do. So it's it's only because... We have so many donors. We've never asked a donor to do, to donate to us. They all come to us. Carmen, it's because of you. It's because of all the people that, that care about what we do and talk about it. And we get we doubled our donations last year from five and a half million to twelve million dollars. Like we're starting to talk about real money here. Real Real money. Yeah. And so if, if people watch that little medical debt forgiven so far number at the top of the page um, as it scrolls, 
um, it, it'd be hard for me to describe um, to our listeners how fast these numbers um, are increasing in terms of the medical debt that is forgiven. Um, but it's really close to $1.4 billion in medical debt um, that's been forgiven across the country um, through this RIP medical debt effort. And so we want to continue to highlight it. Craig, we thank you uh, again for joining us today uh, and for your good work that you continue to empower among us. Um, and so just, you know, thank you. Thank you. And keep coming and telling us the stories. We really appreciate it. Well, I'd love it. Thank you so much, Carmen. God bless. Absolutely. You too. We'll be right back. Okay, so some of the headlines that you're going to see today, the U.S. uh, 2020 census starts today. Let me encourage you, when you get information online, just go ahead and fill it out online and save us all the expense and trouble of Uh, of the phone call procedure uh, where you answer all the questions over the phone or the face-to-face, we have to send a census worker to your house because you didn't answer when we sent you an email. So uh, it'd be really great if most of us could reply to the census online, particularly sort of in this coronavirus season of things. Just uh, encouragement to you today as the 2020 U.S. Census launches today. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Peter Kapsner will be in the house at the top of the hour. And then at the bottom of the next hour, I have Aras Douthat, the New York Times columnist with his new book, The Decadent Society. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.